Okay, good morning, Redemption Flagstaff. Uh, we are here continuing on in our series uh, we've entitled uh, Conversations with Leaders We Love. And the desire here is just to enter into dialogue with uh, various leaders that we just know well, we love, that we uh, really respect their opinions and thoughts on and different things like that. And so uh, we're doing this via Zoom with, uh, you can see on the side behind them with Jim and Jenny Mullins from Redemption 10B. Uh, they are in a very fancy background. I am in our guest room at my house. And so uh, it's, as you can tell, we don't choose color well in this room. And so, uh, but that's just the reality of what we've been doing obviously in this season. So welcome to this conversation. And so um, Jim, Jenny, thanks so much for being with us. If I could just have you guys introduce yourselves, tell us a little about who you are, maybe a bit of your story, and then we'll kind of jump into other parts of the conversation. Sure. Why don't you go first? All right. I am Jenny Mullins, married to Jim Mullins and um, we have a daughter who's 11 who's on the autism spectrum um, and her being in our life has really shaped my trajectory of my life. Uh, my life looks nothing like I thought it would um, but now as a vocation I get to uh, work with families who have children with special needs kind of guiding them through the process of getting support either through schools or through um, different government agencies um, and more recently started a nonprofit with another um, woman who is a foster parent to really support the, the needs of foster children. Um, many of them have special needs that are unseen needs, but it's a result of the trauma they've experienced. And so we together are supporting a lot of um, kids in foster care as a part of our mission and vocation. And um, I feel like God will share more about this, I'm sure. But has used Eliana and in our story and in my story to kind of lead me down in that path. Mm -hmm. so, yep. Jim Mullins, um, co-lead pastor of Dem Tempe. Um, and, you know, I would say kind of our background, we, uh, we ended up, we met each other while we were starting this, uh, this kind of group, this community near ASU called the Moravian Community that really had this goal of, you know, extending hospitality and extending the gospel to international students. And there were probably about 80 of us. And this was kind of our first thing together. Along the, along the way, we ended up getting married and leading a team to move to Turkey. Um, that's where we kind of spent our early years of marriage and our daughter was was born there uh we made these bold proclamations as as uh 20 somethings that we were going to live the rest of our life in turkey and we were never going to come back unless it was in a coffin and we were there three years yeah we were there for three years classic uh, absolutely yeah yeah so um and uh and then we ended up coming back to Arizona and uh, where we've been uh, with redemption for about 10 years, 11 years. Nice. To check you there. Um, oh, simple. Yeah, uh, that was, we, I just said thank you in Turkish. So it's like the one thing I remember from my trips there is just <laughs> that, that in shawarma. But okay, so. 
Um, if you haven't seen um, the updates that we've been given about um, about this conversation we're looking to have with the Mullinses is uh, is kind of engaging. What does it look like for the gospel to be so present and for the church to be um, really engaged in loving our neighbors with special needs and, and what that looks like for us to do that well and what are things we don't know and, and all that. So um, I consider, they probably wouldn't say this, but I consider them just experts in this, uh, in so many ways, people that I learned from significantly. So we wanted to bring Redemption Flagstaff into that conversation as we continue our pursuit of trusting God in this COVID season to shape us and form us so that um, when we, you know, I want to say get back in the world, but as we just continue in the work that we're called to do, that we be able to do it as the most equipped, faithful people that we can, that um, really are equipped to love our neighbors. And so um, I'd love to start with this kind of broad question on the front end, but why, why is this such an important discussion for the church today? Yeah, I would say the initial flinch answer that I think I probably would have said before having Eliana was because there are so many people with special needs who are overlooked, mm -hmm. um, who... Uh, need to hear about Jesus and their families are often overlooked. Um, you know, there are a ton of families who, because of the complexity of bringing their children into worship and a lot of times would have sensory overload issues and stuff, just can't worship on Sundays or switch off right. between parents or something like that. I probably would have said that the importance is rooted in the urgency of discipling those folks. But since having 11 years with Eliana, I would say that um, those who are experiencing various disabilities or special needs uh, actually have a ton of important roles in discipling the church and mm. leading the church in some of the most pressing issues that we are perplexed by today. Mm. That's what I would say. We're going to have to yeah. that more. Yeah. But Jenny, what do you think? <laughs> Well, yeah, I would agree with that, that I think there are gifts that God has given to people with disabilities or special needs or however you want to frame that, that um, the way that they see the world and view God is so different than the way we do, um, but that gives such a unique perspective on who God is and is like in our situation for Eliana it has shaped us as parents um, in the way that we see God. And so I think those gifts are something that can come to to bear in the church, but those are often overlooked gifts um, because they're not very explicit and often they're not seen as gifts. And so I think that's something that we have to learn um, as a church globally yeah. and as believers. Yeah. Can we just jump, let's just jump right into that. Um, and so what, what does that look like? What are some of those, those gifts, you know, what are some of those things that maybe you know, and even Jim going specifically to what you said there as well of you, used, you, you would have answered it this way, but now you answer it this way. What are the things, right, that have like happened in between that have moved you to this other answer? Hmm. One about the gifts. Uh, uh, you know, I would say, of course, when it comes to gifts, we, you know, our experience is somewhat limited mm -hmm. to, um, to the autism world um mm -hmm. so we're kind of speaking out of that yeah but what would you say are some of those gifts that the church needs right now 
Um, I think, so something about autism is that uh, people like our daughter really like repetition and the sameness. And so, um, you know, having a schedule and a routine and things happening over and over and over. She never gets bored with the same song over and over. And that used to drive me crazy, <laughs> to be quite honest. But I think I've seen more of the character of God and how he, you know, faithfully brings the sun up every morning and and sets it over and over, or like the, the waves, like they, they never stop. And so God never gets bored with that, just like my daughter never gets bored with listening to the same song over and over. And so that's a glimpse of God's character that she sees that I miss. And I think I've been able to see that, um, just the faithfulness of God through her eyes and through just the way that God has wired her, um, that I don't know that I would have I mean, I could understand cognitively the faithfulness of God, but to see her enjoy God's faithfulness through repetition um, has really shaped me, I think. Yeah, it's we read this Chesterton quote that just absolutely resonated, how um, God makes the sunrise the same way every morning, and he makes, you know, the world function in the same way every day. And what if it's not just because he has to do it that way, but it's because he delights in doing it that way. And every morning God says, do it again, do it again. And um, yeah, so I think that that would be one of them. The other one would be, um, I would say, you know, some of the things that we're experiencing. Let's just take this season that we're in, right? Suddenly all of society has been thrust into having to deal with substantial limits where we've had very few limits prior to that. Well, most most folks um, on the um, autism spectrum or who have some sort of disability, functionally the way it plays out is in having to deal with substantial limits and how do you learn to flourish and live into the, to what it means to be a human and a disciple right. in the presence of limits. And then, you know, I think, yeah. So, I mean, that, that would be another example of that. Yeah. And I think you had asked the question, how did we get, how did Jim get from point A to point B from, you know, that initial comment. And I think, Earlier on, we might have looked at people with disabilities or special needs kind of with pity, like, oh, their life is so hard. Um, but I think, and there are really hard things about yeah, raising a child or, or being a person that has special needs or disabilities. But I think also on this side of it, we can also see some of the flip side of that is that some of the gifts that come with it. Yeah. That, that's true for you. Yeah, that's totally. You. Totally. Yeah, I remember it was just uh, it was two conversations ago. We sat down with uh, with Wayne and Aaron from uh, Redemption Alhambra, Alhambra, as they insist. Um, and you know, and they and same thing. You know, one of the massive things we talked about with them was how do we love the poor? You know, and how do we care well for that those neighbors? And it was it was very much a big thing of just like no, like we need them to care for us. You know, like there's we are deficient as the church without them. Yeah as as vital members of our community it sounds like you're saying pretty much the same thing yeah yeah that, and yeah. i think it's interesting that jesus always reached out to the people on the margins because right. he saw that right like he saw that they had something to offer um and he saw them 
And I think that's something that we as a church can learn is to see that, like you said, people that are poor or people that have disabilities or to see people that are on the margins um, because they have gifts to bring to us. It's not just us that feel like we have things together and don't have as many needs. Right. Um, but we actually need them um, to teach us. Right. Right. Yeah, it seems like the Lord, like God's done this pretty much since the beginning, right? He just keeps calling people that are not qualified in the world's eyes oftentimes, right? Like, in order to almost shame the wise, you know, and so right. the kingdom being upside down. At the same time, the church hasn't often uh, always functioned like that. And so could you speak to maybe some of uh, some of the areas where maybe the church has not done well, uh, in this space, and then maybe some places where you see some hope and some good things that are happening? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. That is true that the church hasn't always done well. But if there's any group of people that historically have, it has been the church. Um, and so I know it's like really popular today to like, the, to find all the flaws in the body of Christ. And <laughs> yeah. um, but the reality is, as I've traveled globally and um, read into history, you know, historically there's been either uh, an assumption that if someone has a disability that they're cursed, mm -hmm. that something happened in the family that God is punishing them for. Right. Uh, or even, or even that it's a point of shame, and so therefore people are kind of pushed off to the side. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the church has been the, the community historically that has said, "This is your place. Uh, you, this is your family." Though one thing I would say, where today we would be most likely to go wrong is not in any sort of like commissionary act, like some you know, act that we do that's wrong, but it's more of just not seeing. Mm -hmm. Like my main prayer for Eliana is that she would be seen. Mm -hmm. um, that people will tend to kind of look through or talk around instead of actually engaging mm -hmm. relationship. Um, and I think that there's, there's uh, often a fear mm -hmm. that people will have of not even knowing how to have that relationship. Right or even how to talk about things with us, so they just kind of avoid it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you think of the story of, uh, right, of the blind man and saying, well, hey, like, what sin caused this? You know, he's like, no, this is for the glory of God, you know, and even just pointing to our, our neighbors with, with disabilities or special needs or, right, that are on the margins. I know this is, they are the glory of God, you know, and, and the way that he longs for, for that work to happen, you know, in that midst. And so, which, but could you talk to some of the, like some of the biblical, like the scriptures that dr should be driving the church, you know, that, that drive you guys and you guys have learned as you've just tried to be faithful, you know, and not just loving Eliana, but um, I know you guys have a ministry at Redemption Tempe that is trying to care for those with disabilities and, um, and, and creating that space and that environment. So I'd love to just hear what are those, what's the, what scriptures are driving towards that? What heart of Christ yeah, well, I th think of 1 Corinthians 12, uh, which talks about the parts of the body needing each other. Mm -hmm. And the, um, here, something just popped up on the screen. Sorry about that. Um, 
the parts of the body of Christ needing each other. The ear needs the nose, the hand, so on and so forth. And I think it's in verse 22 where it says that the parts of the body that seem weaker right. are actually the most indispensable. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a huge part of your ecclesiology, of your understanding of what it means to be a church. I think another one that's pretty significant is, um, is pretty much anywhere in the Gospels or anywhere that there's a reflection on the cross. Um, because what you see in the cross is a God who willingly disables himself um, and is able to, you know, to be on the cross means that Jesus's feet are nailed to a cross and cannot walk. Um, his, his, his hands are, are, are nailed to the cross uh, and he doesn't have that function. He's, his lungs are pierced as he's trying to draw in those breaths and he functionally enters in to that experience of the brokenness of the world and can relate uh, to those who encounter that type of suffering. Right. Yeah. And not just Easter, but Christmas too. I mean, just the him advent into this world was this massive disabling. Wow. That's, that's really yeah, good. Totally. Totally. And I also think, uh, you know, I think that there's, um, I'm going to get a little speculative here. I'm going to give you some of my thought process. I'd be disappointed if you didn't, Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get out the way. Uh, there's a, you know, when you get into Revelation 21 and 22, when you see the renewal of, of all things, you see a continuity and a discontinuity between human life. So there's the, where it talks about the, uh, the glory of the nations being brought into the new Jerusalem. So right. functionally, the best aspects of human culture uh, have some continuity into our eternal worship of Jesus. Um, and then there's discontinuity, that tears are taken away, that all the brokenness and sin is taken away. And I actually think that there's a continuity and discontinuity when it comes to special needs that there are aspects of it, the painful, suffering types of things that will be taken away. Mm -hmm. But there are aspects of most people with special needs that I know that are actually living into mm -hmm. true humanity wow. that the rest of us aren't experiencing as much that will actually be a part of our glorification and us becoming more fully human in the presence of, of Jesus for eternity. Wow. Dude, that's awesome. Can I give an example of that? Yeah, yeah. So, so one thing about kids or children with autism is that they usually have some sensory, their sensory system doesn't work. And so it's usually it's overloaded. So it's not that they can't hear, it's usually that they can hear too well, or it's not that they can't see, it's that they see everything and mm -hmm. process everything. So one thing with Eliana that we early on knew that sounds really bothered her. She could hear the dumpster truck you know, a mile away and which she would scream and put her hands on her ears. And so one thing as I thought about this is that her hearing, like we know that she can probably hear what's going on in the house next door. Like that's how good her hearing is. Right. But, but right now that's a detriment to her because that wakes her up in the middle of the night or, you know, it's hard for her. But when she, her, she is glorified in a glorified body, God won't take away that like super sense of hearing. It actually will be part of her being fully glorified and fully who she was created to be without all of the 
negative and, and there's even aspects. there's wow. even positives that you see now because like for instance visually she'll have you know she can get overwhelmed with different visual things but on the other hand she can delight in a little glimpse of light coming in through the window and hitting the floor and find so much beauty and joy and just that little part of God's creation mm -hmm. that would be overlooked by the rest of us. Right. And as I've reflected on some of what her vocation is, like what has God created her for? I think in some ways in a world where people are just purely overlooking God's generosity and goodness mm -hmm. and all of these small things, uh, he has someone who's there to see it and to mm -hmm. notice and to be attentive. Like that, I want to be like that. And I think I might be one day more mm -hmm. like her. Dude, I love that, man. That's so good. That's great, guys. Um, okay, so with that in mind, if we can bring it down to ground level, right? So we we have people in our church and our communities, you know, that are walking in your shoes as well and in different ways. So could you speak to some of the challenges and then some of the joys kind of on the ground in the midst of being lovers of Jesus and in the midst of all this? I think this has been true for my experience and also true for probably the hundreds of families I've walked with is that it's very, very lonely mm. because your experience as a parent does not match other parents' experience. Right. If I'm talking about children, you know, raising a child with whatever special needs, whether it's autism or developmental delays or dyslexia or whatever, your experience and the way that you parent, it has to be so different than the way your peers parent. And so I think sometimes we can get really formulaic, even about discipline or things like that. And so yeah. um, I think if, if there are people in your church that are struggling with that, that's really normal. <laughs> and you're not alone. There are other people that, that feel that same way, but it can be kind of isolating because you can't necessarily match your experience with people around you. And so it's just easier to isolate. Um, I think because there's also a grief process that families go through, especially if they get a diagnosis um, when a child's you know, younger or sometimes when they're born, it really does kind of follow the grief process of if someone would die, you know, kind of the denial and anger, um, wow. bargaining, and then kind of getting to acceptance. And so sometimes depending on what stage a, a parent is in, sometimes they can kind of put off other people around them. Um, but it really is because they're grieving and they don't know how to communicate that or communicate wow. even what they need or um, like I remember when Eliana was little and we would have play dates and, you know, even church play groups and I would try so hard to be a part of those. Mm -hmm. And I knew people wanted us to be a part of those, right. but it was so hard. It was so hard to be there. Um, and I knew people didn't understand why it was hard. And so I think there are probably other families in your church right now that it's hard. Mm -hmm. um, and just to acknowledge that and just yeah. acknowledge that not one way of doing things always fits every person. Right. right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and to go with that, I think that most people would say, we absolutely would love to have your yes. daughter a part of everything that we, we do. But the understanding is that like the way that there's a normative way to do things. Mm -hmm. And if she can right, enter right. into that, right. then that's, that's good. Right. But the people who have been most 
impactful in our lives. Uh, the Klontzes in particular, mm -hmm. there's, there are other few families um, are the ones who will say, we are actually going to rearrange the way that we do get togethers, um, you know, small group church, um, prioritizing the person who has that, those most needs. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, I mean, that's been, that's an incredible posture of friendship right there. Right. Yeah. It's almost, you kind of can invite people into this opportunity to love, you know, um, and, and it invites everyone kind of into that, in that moment. Yeah. It's something we're all going to do because, you know, we want to live well. So that's yeah. great. I love that. Um, what about some of the joys of it in the midst of it? I know you've shared some, but um, what are some insight into your world like that, if you wouldn't mind? You start. Oh, man. Jim could talk all day. Yeah. There's so many. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, well, I mean, I think in so many ways, uh, she's rehumanized us, um, you know, to be attentive to the small things, like we mm -hmm. mentioned, uh, to fill our days with prayer and recognizing the presence of God and like mm -hmm. normal everyday things, um, in order to communicate something to her. Uh, about Jesus, about the faith. There's a ton of repetition, a ton of song, a yeah. ton of sim simplifying things. We probably have like 12 standard songs we sing in the course of a day to mark different movements of the day and everything. Oh, wow. It's actually wrapped up our whole day in this liturgy of yeah, moving on to these next <laughs> things. Um, one thing I, I, I would also love to share uh, I'm going to, yeah, I won't go too long on this. Our Sabbaths have been these incredible things where um, we're really trying to teach her to look forward to the, to, the, to the fullness of the kingdom and the coming of Christ. And we're doing that through Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And so our Sabbath day, we start off with pancakes and a song about the four things that encompass our day uh giving uh, resting playing and praying and those are the four big categories of everything we do on our sabbath and uh giving uh what we've done for a long time COVID has kind of thrown this thing off a bit but we tell her that she can go and take anything she wants in the house uh pick one thing and give it to any one of our neighbors that she she wants <laughs> and there's something about her innocent boldness in doing this that our neighbors love when she shows up with a bag of bananas, uh, you know, and gives it to them and then like prays a blessing over them. And through this little uh, image bearer, uh, she, she could do more than I could ever do with engaging neighbors. And, Kidding. You know, if I show up with bananas to the neighbor's house and okay. they want to pray for them, <laughs> they're going to be like, hey, you're a little weird, but <laughs> yeah. What, what would you say? I think actually during COVID, we've seen this really shape her a little bit more. It's just her understanding of prayer mm. and understanding that she really is talking to God and that he hears her. So um, actually yesterday I couldn't find my keys all day. And so I was looking again, it's frustrating, frustrated. And she said, Oh mom, you should just pray. 
I was like, okay, Eliana, will you pray that I can find my keys? So she prayed, dear God, please help mom find her keys. And she's like, okay, go look. Um, she sent me off. And right away I found my keys. And I said, look, Eliana, God answered our prayer. And she's like, I knew he would. Like she really, she wow. prayed and believed that God was going to, she knew that I was going to find my keys right after that. Like her um, just simple faith in God and just the way that she prays is really a joy to us um, and has, I don't know, helped us realize actually does hear us when we pray. Yeah. Like it's not like this formality that we're doing. Like he really hears and he cares about silly things like keys that I can't find. Mm -hmm. So a joy. Just a, a, one more example of that is uh, she prayed the audacious prayer that she would get to like connect with her favorite musician. Oh, yeah. And I'm like trying to like lower her expectations. Well, maybe you pray that you flip through the songs or uh, whatever. And uh, Sandra McCracken, through a series of like little events, sent her a, a video uh, this summer, a personal video just saying, uh, encouraging her in some areas. And like, she's not afraid to pray for those things. Yeah. How about this week? What's yeah. Oh, yeah, and Sandra McCracken's leading worship this week for us. Thanks to Eliana. Yeah, yeah, there's so, so many things. Yeah. Uh, can I do one more? Yeah, I was, real quick, I would just say, if you could have Eliana pray, I really like Coldplay. Uh, so, <laughs> I wouldn't mind. Right, we'll, get, we'll get her on it. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate it. Yeah, that's cool. I, I would just say the other thing, too, um, is the joy of there are things that I have seen in Jenny um, that I probably wouldn't have seen or known apart from her and her relationship with Eliana and caring for Eliana. Wow. And, you know, pretty much every week there's a couple of nights where she'll wake up at midnight and then maybe not get back to sleep at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, but to see uh the creative persevering love of of jenny caring for this kid, sacrificing sleep trying to get her um to sleep uh is a it's a there's a beautiful aspect of jenny that god is cultivating that i might not ever see apart from that mm. wow um, same same with you yeah but a little less <laughs> <laughs> Hey, a, a funny story, a funny story. There was one time, Eliana, she doesn't like food around sometimes. So Jenny's in bed caring for her when she's sick, but Jenny has not had anything to eat. Mm -hmm. So we had to figure out how to get Jenny food. So I got this like plate of food and I army crawl into the room. And I'm like right on, <laughs> on the side of the bed where Eliana can't see me. And Eliana and Jenny will like turn every once in a while and I'll just put the fork up. <laughs> <laughs> like just oh, man. oh man yeah that's something that that most families do not know anything about like i, I don't know <laughs> that's right if i've ever had to do that that's amazing yeah it's definitely led to our creativity on, <laughs> on how we do things right i think it speaks so much to right because whether it be a, a kid or, or an adult right that, that lives with disabilities or special needs just this reality of I think sometimes we can be we, we only know how to do something one way and, and mm. we forget the creative complex like complex mind that the Lord has blessed us with and given us to think through 
love. Like he's called us to love. And I think he's then equipped us with minds to be creative and how we do it. And it seems at times like we've just allowed ourselves to be almost stifled in that. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and sometimes we use that even as an excuse, you know, I know, especially with some of our adult friends and neighbors up here, you know, sometimes I think people just, oh, I don't know what to do, so I can't, or, you know, but what, what does it look like to dream together and, and to really think through love through a creative lens? And so I, I, in fact, if I could just even hear you speak more towards that, even, I think that's just so important, that idea of, of both sacrifice and creativity in our effort to love. Yeah. I mean, I think creativity is so often born out of limits and necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you put some constraints on someone, um, that's where the most creativity uh, tends to emerge. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of why we're seeing a lot of creativity and innovation during COVID. Yeah. Because we right. have this constraint, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think when it comes to most of the time when you're, when you're thinking about creativity uh, in the world today, it's either in the, for self-expression, uh, for making some money, uh, or in doing something to like serve myself, right? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they're, they're good expression. Right, right. Yeah. But I think when, when Jesus says to love our neighbor as ourself, it's actually an implicit call to creativity. Because what he's saying is the very things that you have used to love yourself, the assets that I have given you, I want you to creatively reimagine those as instruments of serving others and meeting needs in that way. Right. And really, when it comes to you know, our life with our daughter um, and our, our, des- our desire to love her and to care for her, we've had to look at our, the stuff that we have that we use for ourselves in different out-of-the-box ways to care for her, mm-hmm. which has actually set a rhythm for us as a family of thinking out of the box right. and how to do that. Right. And so one example of that would be when Jenny started doing the ed- educational uh, advocacy for kids with special needs. She actually went through a very challenging process mm-hmm. um, of trying to get services for Eliana mm-hmm. and being the like well-ordered person that she is. She documented it the whole way and realized that there are a lot of families that probably have a very hard time navigating wow. that process Right. and used her ability to navigate uh, complex bureaucracies and mm-hmm. um, and those sorts of things to actually advocate for uh, these families. But you probably never would have sat down. It would have been harder to just sit down and to think, how do I use my, my uh, love of filling out forms? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> to care for kids uh, in foster care or something, right. something like right. that. Right. But it doesn't, it doesn't have to, that's not the only way that comes about, but that is something that Eliana has really showed us of how to do those things. Yeah. And I think, yeah. So I, I, I'm rambling. No, that was great. I think it, what you're saying is it like for us, it came out of necessity, but it doesn't necessarily have to. So 
you know, for people that want to love their neighbors or people that are different from them, it doesn't mean that you have to have an experience like ours to be creative in how you love them. Right. For us, it just forced us to. But I think there are lots of ways that, you know, we can think creatively about what the needs are of people around us and how, what gifts do we have and how can we um, serve them and bless them and maybe in ways that are unconventional or don't seem really obvious to other people. I think that's another thing that I've learned is a lot of times we want to serve in ways that are really um, seen and um, get a lot of accolades and we don't always want to serve for example, waking up at midnight in the middle of the night with your daughter. <laughs> That's not necessarily a way I wanted to serve. I didn't sign up for that time slot. Um, but I think there are things that knowing that God sees what we do and having that be our motivation, we don't have to look for being seen by people around us as the motivation. Because really, if that's our motivation, it's really not done, done out of love anyway. So anyway, just that thought came to my mind. It, and when you talk about sacrifice, um, I think there's something about how I think in our day we've become very accustomed to being terrified of hard things, mm. of, of costly things, and um, thinking that it's going to deplete us. Um, and I think what we've come to know, I mean, the scripture teaches this, but we've come to know it experientially, is that in the difficult thing, in the self-giving love, that is the place where you encounter mm -hmm. Jesus. Um, where where you, you like, like some of our sweetest times with Jesus have been at those midnight hours when we're trying to console our daughter and, um, or, I mean, they're not. So. <laughs> I think sometimes we, I speak this broadly in the American church, we don't experience um, sometimes what we, we read in the Bible, you know, these big acts that God does. I think sometimes the reason that we don't experience that is because we're not desperate enough. Um, and I think when we're desperate and we need God to come through and show up, he always does, mm. whether that looks like how we thought it would or not, but he always comes through. But I think sometimes and I think COVID has shown us this too, is that we have become so dependent on our own abilities um, and what we can do. And when that's taken away, we kind of panic. Like, oh no, what do I do? Now I can't make this thing work out or I can't, you know, do this thing on my own. But really when we're, when that is taken away and we're completely dependent and rely on God to, to come through, otherwise we're just sunk, you know, like yeah. either he's going to pull through and help us or we don't know what, we don't know how this is going to, play out but I think that in those moments is when we've seen God at work the most um, and we've been able to experience God in a deep way that had we been able to kind of like muster things up on our own strength we wouldn't have experienced his mm -hmm. grace in that way that's good and when, it, when it comes to sacrifice too just the last thing I'll say is um, I think a lot of times when we think of that we think of like you know taking a bullet for Jesus or you know doing some you know, super heroic, uh, you know, go to a country where you're like, right, living right. With whatever. Like Turkey, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but the reality is, I think some of the most important aspects of self-giving love are the willingness to endure 
awkwardness and socially uncomfortable situations. Mm. And there are a lot of people who are lonely, who are disconnected from the body of Christ mm. because people have counted the cost and said, yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, and they're missing out uh, mm. on an encounter with another image bearer and ultimately an encounter with God. That is, that's massive. I think it's a massive part of it. And I even, you know, in all the years, like that's, I think that line could, that type of thinking continues to convict me, you know, because the, the comforts for me are just freedom, right? To, or at least this perceived freedom to be able to make my own decisions in my own times, you know, and, um, and that's just, yeah. Anyway, um, how is the gospel, like, how is the gospel good news both to, um, both to those, those friends, neighbors, daughters, right, brothers, sisters, parents that have special needs and disabilities, how's the gospel good news to them? And how's it also good news for the church and for uh, those of us who seek to love well in the midst of it? Yeah. Well, you know, I think I'm going to repeat some themes of before, but like the uniqueness of our God is uh that he limits himself and he is the disabled god who moves towards uh those who experience that profound lim limitation and suffering he entered into it mm -hmm. and then through that suffering um is bringing them uh into a, a kingdom where the where the where the gifts of some of the disability will get amplified but that pain gets mended uh, I think it's also good news because, um, you know, one of the things that I, I've, I've started to read in Scripture a little differently is when I see the accounts of Jesus healing people, mm -hmm. often what's happening in those accounts that's a truly miraculous thing is that he is restoring them to mm -hmm. the community. Wow. Uh, and... Uh, part of what it means to be the gospel community is Jesus's means of doing that now uh, is to even say we will embrace and as the arms of Christ uh, all, all, all people neuro, with all types of neuro, neurotypical things we will embrace them uh, on behalf of Christ and to be restored to community and family um, yeah and I think um, I think also, you know, we get this glimpse of, we like to think of ourselves as the fully able, non-vulnerable, most people do. But the reality is, the reality is, we're not. Right. If you're experiencing that, it's only because you moved out of the vulnerability of infancy. And you're in this between period right now where you're either going to suddenly die or you're going to be uh, entering into a season of life where you are profoundly vulnerable and in need of others. Wow. Um, you know, older age or uh, some physical thing that will, will happen. Um, we feel invincible. Um, but as the vulnerable, we can have good news that God uh, moves towards us. Mm. Uh, and encounters us, meets with us, and is drawing us into um, 
drawing us into his presence uh, for, for eternity in a restored creation. Mm, that's really good. What do you think, Jay? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I, I think that, I mean, our tendency is to think that what we do earns our love from God, right? And that's the opposite of the gospel. Like nothing we do earns the love that we receive. And so I think the good news for people with disabilities or their families is being able to see that it's not because of what their children can do or their loved one can do that earns their love for them. Right. Um, and that that's a picture of how God loves us and that that is really good news for us and also for them. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, I know. Um, and so you use the term neurotypical, you know, and, and if you just ex maybe explain that for just a moment, just for, for those of us uh, not to know, and we've kind of started delving into the neurotypical versus neurodivergent kind of conversation a little bit, but I think it's a helpful thing. I know that terminology is being used more, and even just as a, a moment to educate, if you would mind share a little bit about what that is. Yeah, so I it used to be people were referred to as an autistic person or an autistic child or the disability kind of preceded who they were as a person. And so there's kind of been a shift to talk person-centered language. So a person with a disability or a person with autism. And then more recently, there's been a lot that's come out on how um, people with autism or developmental disabilities um, have, I'm going to think of the wrong word neurodivergent is that mm -hmm. the word yeah. yeah neurodivergent so instead of saying that there's something wrong with their brain what a disability communicates is something fundamentally is wrong with their brain so saying that they're neurodivergent means that their brain is different and that we would be considered neurotypical whatever that means like right. our brain <laughs> maybe not <laughs> And that's uh, like, we joke, but that's, there's actually some truth to that. Yeah, I mean, so what's a normal brain, right? We're all very different, and there's definitely a spectrum of how God's wired each of our brains. But in general, there's kind of this standard of what a neurotypical brain looks like versus a person that has um, developmental disability or autism or even ADHD, dyslexia. Sometimes people will talk about that kind of being a part of the spectrum, that that, that is... Um, you know, a little bit of a neurodivergent when they look at brain scans and things like that. So right. when you hear that terminology, I think sometimes people just think, oh, that's just being politically correct. But I think it reframes how people with disabilities have been seen, especially autism, um, because there's a whole history to that where it used to be that when um, parents were told that their children had autism, it was because the mother was cold and uncaring. Right. That's the reason doctors would give. And so it was kind of placed on the parents as you did something wrong, and this is why your child has these problems. And so there's been a huge shift to, no, it's not that their brain is, you know, broken or something's wrong with them. It's just that their brain is wired differently. And because of that, there's some things that are difficult, but then there's some things that are easier, and there's some strengths that they have. Yeah. So, anyway. And I, I will say that um, also that, those things, a lot of people don't enter into relationship because they just don't get the term, they, they're afraid that they're gonna say the wrong word and have mm -hmm. the wrong terminology right, and things right, like right, that. Right. I would say, uh, get, get 
get words wrong, do all that uh, if you're moving toward relationship and let it be messy and, and learn rather than just being nice and safe and those sorts of things. Or even to ask, like, help me understand, like, kind of like you did, like, help me understand what's the difference between these two or why do we say, like, just asking that question I think is huge, just in educating yourself. And um, if you're with people that have disability, like, kind of asking them more of those kind of questions is helpful. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I think it, in such an effort, again, to be keeping back to love and effort to love, like knowledge is is very helpful and powerful, kind of in that in that pursuit, right? Yeah. So, um, okay, let's let's this last question for you. Thanks for all the time you've given so far. Um, so, what what does this you think look like for the church? You know, so how um, maybe some practical ways, both individually and maybe even corporately for the church. How how do we do this well? Um, I think coming off of, you know, so learning some of the language and doing some education on it, you know, is, is maybe part of the answer, but just would love to hear from you guys, how, how do we do this well as Christians and people that, that want to exemplify the kingdom to the world? Um, I think for parents, kind of speak to parents who have children who are, have some sort of disability. Um, I think asking families like how can we best serve you and not maybe not even getting one answer right away but even that gesture of like moving toward them and wanting to serve and engage is really powerful um so as a church body if you know people within the church are doing that and moving towards people um there's not always one answer to that question um or even one thing that the church can do but i think just that posture of love, of moving towards people on the margins, like Jesus did, um, is really powerful. Um, just an example of that at Redemption Tempe that we've seen um, is we have quite a lot of kids with autism that attend here, our families that attend here, and so a lot of them have a lot of sensory issues, and it's just super overwhelming for them to be in their classroom. Mm -hmm. Example, when we would drop off Eliana, she would scream and they'd always have to come get me. Like I could just never drop her off. Um, and so they started, they found a room that wasn't being used at the church and kind of turned it into a sensory room, a quiet room where the kids that would get really overwhelmed could start there and then transition. Once they were kind of settled and calm, they could transition with a buddy. So they'd have another person that would go one-on-one -on -one with them back into their classroom as long as they could handle it. And then if they got overwhelmed, they'd go back and take a break. But I think having that space that was created for them it, with their needs in mind. So it had bean bags and, you know, a trampoline and just things that they might need um, that other kids didn't need and other kids didn't have access even to, but prioritizing the needs that they had um, that our daughter had, I think really spoke a lot to us. And I know in talking to families, that's huge. And we've had a ton of families come to our church because of that ministry, because there's a place for them and they feel like they don't have to kind of hide their children or like one parent stays home so that they don't have to take that child, but they can actually be a part of the experience on a Sunday yeah. when we would meet a person <laughs> when that was happening. Um, that's been really huge, I think. Yeah. And uh, Melissa like Stone. Kids, so I just feel like the kids, other kids see that room, like, I want to go in that room. Like, there's a trampoline. Yes, that's <laughs> actually happened. <laughs> like, quite a big of the trampoline. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I would say Melissa Stone, who's mm -hmm. one of our deacons, she headed, heads everything up with uh, special needs. 
and really had, had the vision for making that room what it is. And, mm -hmm. But that same sort of posture in a room here is uh, the same sort of posture that you could have uh, in your own home and in your own life. I think the question of um, how, how can I rearrange some of my life uh, in order to connect with you, to love you, um, or to love your daughter, or what, whatever, um, is, a, is a good question. It's a little bit deeper than the just like, how can I love you, or how can I serve you? It's the, how can I rearrange something in me uh, mm. so that we can be together uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ? Mm. You know, that's a great answer. I love that. And you think through, I mean, keep thinking through the story that God's been writing, right? I mean, like the garden was there and then sin enters the world and we're broken and he rearranges this world for his glory and for our flourishing, you know, and, and one day we'll rearrange it again perfectly. Uh, yeah. It'll be awesome. Yeah. Um, man, any just last, last things you'd want to tell us or things I didn't ask and just things you'd want to encourage us with? Um, before uh, before I pray for you guys and for Eliana and for Tempe. Yeah. You got something? I got something. It's good. Um, you know, I've been watching Redemption Flagstaff from afar, and I really love you guys, and I see the ways that you are persevering and following Jesus through some really hard things, and uh, that goes for everyone I know who's a part of the congregation and, and uh, Flagstaff. But in particular, Vince didn't put me up to this, but I'm, I'm just saying this. In particular, uh, your leaders, these, these folks uh, love Jesus deeply and love you deeply and are navigating some very complex, hard times. And you should just know uh, that you are led well by some people who really have been in the presence of Jesus and we love you guys a ton and Gosh, can't wait to come visit uh, the next time we're able. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, thanks. It, it does sound like, like anything else you want to say? Any other <laughs> yeah. Anything at all? Yeah. Thanks, bro. Did not put me up to that, but I think it's something you all should know. Mm. That's super kind of you, and uh, yeah, we all we we talk about Tempe all the time. You know, Tempe. For for those of you who maybe are watching that that haven't been around Redemption Flagstaff very much, we were essentially sent out of Redemption Tempe eight years ago now, and it's been wild to think about. I was on staff there for three or four years, and it was. Uh, I mean, they continue to bless us and be kind of this great big brother gift to us in so many ways. And um, today's just another kind of avenue that that's come to us. So love you both very much. Let me pray for you if that's all right. Um, and pray for Redemption Tempe and the work you're doing. And then we'll sign off. But thank you. We love you. You guys are amazing. <laughs> Heavenly Father, you are so good. We, uh, we have a deep, deep need for you, and we acknowledge that, and that is true for all of humanity, all of creation, as we groan together, just longing for the day for you to return. God, we pray for Jim and Jenny and sweet Eliana. God, we pray for your presence and your grace and your mercy and your love. Would it abound uh, in their minds and their hearts 
and then their bodies? God, would you keep them healthy? Would you uh, allow them to continue to experience your goodness through the relationships they have with one another? And would you give them strength and, uh, and rest in your presence, God, that would allow them continually to be able to walk with you and faithful with joy, Lord, and with strength? God, we pray over Redemption Tempe. We are so thankful for them. They are, um, they are a gift that you've given to us. And uh, we just pray your blessings over them in, in provision and in care and rest. That their staff would know how deeply they are cherished by you. Um, and that would bring them great motivation to continue to bless their community. Uh, we pray over Melissa and the work that's happening in that community as they care for those, uh, those young kids with, with special needs and disabilities. And Lord, just continue to grant her vision and strength, God, to serve well, and that the kids that are part of that ministry and the friends that we all have of all ages, God, that they would deeply know the heart of Jesus, uh, the story that you're writing, and the necessity that they are for us to truly be the church and to image you to the world, God. We need, we need everyone, God, to give that great picture. So, Lord, we love you. We ask for your blessings on all that was talked about today, which you use it to form us and change us and shape us into being your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.